And hello again, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne with the Sports Rivals. It is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Great to have you with us. Our purpose here, as always, is to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. These are rivalries that are described from the inside out. We're going to go very inside in the National Hockey League with one of the uh, great rivalries team-wise, and that's the New York Rangers and the Philadelphia Flyers. And joining us today, Pete Stemkowski, 14 years in the National Hockey League. He uh, played with the Detroit uh, Red Wings, the Maple Leafs, the Rangers, and that's where we're going to emphasize Pete's playing days, and the uh, Los Angeles Kings. He came away with a Stanley Cup championship in 1967, was noted as one of the outstanding face-off men in the game, and uh, Pete's career long in duration and long in quality. So was it for Bill Clement. Bill uh, played in the National Hockey League 11 seasons. The one we're going to be concerned with team-wise is with the Philadelphia Flyers, which is where he uh, played and was part of the uh, great Broad Street Bullies group. He played with the Capitals and both the Atlanta and Calgary Flames over those years, two Stanley Cups in 1974 and in 1975. So two outstanding players in the National Hockey League playing against one another, Pete Stemkowski with the Rangers and Bill Clement with the Philadelphia Flyers. Guys, it is great to have you with us. Uh, really looking forward to this, to hear your stories. It's the different National Hockey League now than it was when you played. Uh, the rough and tumble days, certainly in your era, and especially with the Broad Street Bullies uh, where Bill played, where there were uh, lots of things that happened on the ice <laughs> that had nothing to do with a puck or a stick. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Listen, you mentioned the fact that I uh, played for the Toronto Maple Leafs back in 1967, and we won a cup, and I said to, to Punch him, like at the time when he traded me, I says, listen, Punch, I think you're making a big mistake here, and they haven't won for 53 years. So, okay, was I right or was I wrong? Okay, just want to toss that in. You're the reason. Uh, well, can, exactly. I, can I jump in there too, Stemmer? Because I hadn't thought of yeah. this, but I got traded two weeks after we won our second cup because the draft was 15 days after we won the cup, and the Flyers wanted to pick number one overall. So I got shipped to Washington, and the Flyers ended up with the number one overall pick, and they got Mel Bridgman. And, um, just so happens they haven't won since then either. There you go. See, 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 we both got something going for us, right? Let's, there you go. Let's keep reminding. I mean, you know, one thing about Toronto, I know we're going to talk about the Flyers and, and us, but, you know, one thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, they would bring us back, you know, on reunions, like on the 30th and on the 40th and, you know, about the 40th and 50th, guys are showing up in, in wheelchairs and, you know, canes. And, and I think from that team, there's only about six of us that are still alive. And, uh, Back in 1967, our goalkeeper was Johnny Bauer. And, you know, I don't, I didn't never looked at programs or read the papers that much back then, but I didn't realize that at that time in 1967, Johnny Bauer was 43 years old. And there was our goalie back then. So he's unheard of the kind of an athlete that, you know, that Johnny Bauer was. Uh, incredible. Stemmer, Stemmer just yep. so you know, uh, I, I didn't know exactly how old you were. I, I took a look at the, at the program the other day. And uh, so you were 23, I think, when the Leafs won in 67. That's probably one of the reasons you're one of the only guys still alive. Uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Ronnie Ellis, I think, still around. I think my, listen, my line is still there. Uh, I had my line of Bob Pulford, 
uh, Jimmy Pappen and myself, and uh, he put us together. Actually, it was King Clancy, for all you hockey historians. Uh, historians. Uh, Punch Imlac ended up in the hospital. We were on an eight-game losing streak during the course of the season, and Imlac went to the hospital. They didn't really want to tell us what it was all about, but we, I think he had a heart attack, and King, King Clancy took over as, as the uh, interim coach. We thought Joe Crozier was going to come up from Rochester, but Clancy comes in. The first practice, he looks around, and he says, well, who, what are the Lions? You know, King Clancy was kind of detached, watched from the press box. And he says, well, uh, Stemkowski, you go to center there and, uh, you know, Pappen, you go on the right side and uh, Pulford, 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 go over, go over the left side. And Pulford said, I don't play left side. Go over the left side. So they put that line together and we started winning, believe it or not. And we went on to win the Stanley Cup, Pulford and uh, Pappen and myself, just on a, on, on a put together line at practice one day. So that was that was King Clancy back in 1967. So when you were yeah, my line is my line is still alive, Billy. My line is still alive. Those three are you know we, we're not feeling very good, but we're still alive and kicking. <laughs> oh boy, you guys pass around the tonic once in a while, I guess. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, what you don't know is that I was 16 at the time, and I had already played a year in the Quebec Junior League, and went to Ottawa to play for the 67s. The first year they were in existence, I was a huge Leafs fan. I watched you guys. I knew all of you. I knew your stats, knew your numbers, knew all of that stuff. So um, things changed by the time we got to banging heads against one another. <laughs> yeah. Who, who was your Who was your favorite? Who, who was your favorite? Who was your favorite player at the time? You said you were watching us. Uh, oh my! The big M. Of course, it was Pete Simkowski. No. <laughs> oh, you just gotta say that. And you no, know what? You were watching me. You know what? You were watching me taking faceoffs because today, when people ask me that question, you know, you played 15 years in the NHL, took a lot of faceoffs. Who are the toughest? The toughest guys to take faceoffs against? And Billy, I'm not saying that because you're here. It was you. And Eddie Westfall were the two toughest guys to take faceoffs against. So I think you might have been watching me and learned a little something by that because you weren't yeah. easy, believe me. You were I tough. Was, and I took a, I took a lot of pride. People asked me over the years because I was I was good on faceoffs. What's the key to to winning a faceoff? And I said, feeling like you're going to puke when you lose one. You know, I mean, that, that's the. <laughs> you big were good. Motivator. You were good. I I remember taking quite a few against you, especially in Atlanta. I remember that one end. I go, damn it, I can't beat that Clement for anything. I'll go right. I'll go left. I'll play the body. I'll be anything. But you had my number. And Eddie Westfall, for some reason, he was a right winger. But he took face-offs in his own zone on the on the side where he could draw it back to the boards. Yeah. Now, I don't think if I took a, a, a 200 face-offs against Eddie Westfall, I don't think I won one of them. That, that's so that's how tough he was. His, yeah. wrists were like, his wrists were that wide, and he would yeah. come in and power move right to the backhand. Eddie was tough, too. I found him tough. But the guy that, the guy that I liked the most when you played and won your cup in Toronto was Dave Keon because I played a lot like him. I was a penalty killer. You know, wasn't a prolific scorer. I'd never scored 20 goals at any level, any level until I made it to the NHL. I had four years of junior, never got 20, year in the minors, never got 20. Uh, but Dave Keon was, uh, there was a lot to like about Davey. Well, you were, uh, well, he won the Con Smythe that year. And, uh, and as much as I love Dave Keon, I, yeah, I probably would have given it to Terry Sachik, who you know, stopped everything in sight. I mean, in the playoffs, I think Bobby Hall came down and whipped one and caught, uh, caught Sachik in the shoulder and caught him in the throat. He went down. This is at Chicago Stadium. I happened to be in the penalty box at the time, and I'm going, oh, my God, the season, it's over. There goes, there goes Yuki. He's on the ice. He's down. I mean, Hall lets the shot go. I mean, he shot at 100 miles an hour. You know what? Terry Sacha got up on his feet. And in that year, 1967, we went on to beat Bobby Hall, Stan Makita, 
and went on to play the Montreal Canadiens in the finals. And that's where we won the Stanley Cup. But Dave Keon, he, he was the winner. Of that. In fact, you know what, Bill? That was the first time they gave out, I believe, the Smythe, or maybe the second year. I'm not sure. But Dave Keon won it that year for us. Guys, let's go to. Yeah, I think he's like, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. That's okay. It's great. I, I just wanted. I want to get back to the Rangers and Flyers. I, I love the stories here. But when you two were competing against one another at a time when the Rangers and Flyers were really good and were both vying for the Stanley Cup and would end up in the Stanley Cup playoffs in that 74 year against one another in the semifinal round, talk a bit about the rivalry. Where, how did it feel to play on these two teams when the rivalry, at least from the fans' perspective, was extremely intense? Bill? Um you know, we, we were the Broad Street bullies, although I, I have to confess, I delivered a lot of gloves to the penalty box <laughs> for the guys that did all the fighting. But one way or the other, you were in the shit whether you wanted to be or not, right? When the, everybody dropped the gloves and you were on the ice, it didn't matter what your style of game was, you were there and you had to do what you had to do. I don't think that I can't even name a, a, a guy that the Rangers had that you could say was a bona fide hammer, you know, or uh, their enforcer. I, I look back and that that season where we met and, and went seven games, the Rangers had two players with over 100 penalty minutes and Brad Park led them with 148. We had seven guys with over 100 minutes and penalties and Schultz had 348. <clears throat> so I think we were the more intimidating team. I don't think we were ever intimidated by the Rangers uh, physically, but man, Stemmer, you guys had such depth that the thing that we feared was your three lines and Brad Park and all of the guys that could hurt us on the scoreboard because I think you had eight, seven, seven 25 goal scores. Your offense was way better than ours, but I don't know. From our standpoint, you were an older team, right? I think you had 12 or 13 guys that were in your 30s, so you were built to win then. We were trending up. You were tr trending down. But I never found Madison Square Garden was an intimidating building to play in, including that year. I, I can only imagine that the spectrum was a little more intimidating for you guys than MSG was for us. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing about the spectrum, Bill, is uh, every time I heard this particular song at the spectrum, I knew we were in trouble. And that was God Bless America by Kate Smith. I said, there, oh, there goes that song again. I know we got problems. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about game seven here, but... Uh, well, I'll tell you, I got to give you guys credit. Kate Smith in person saying God bless America for that game seven. So, uh, yeah, you know, you talk about our team. Uh, uh, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I think we just didn't challenge you physically. And I've talked to a couple of your players uh, since then. I think I had a brief conversation with Don Zaleski and I become pretty good friends, believe it or not, with Dave Schultz. Uh, uh, in the ensuing years hereafter. And one thing he always did mention to me, and I don't know how you felt that, is he, they, they really were afraid of Ronnie Harris. Ronnie Harris was our tough guy. He could go. He could go. But and I, I don't get know, that. Like, hey, remember, Stemmer. We didn't I, use I, him enough. We didn't use him enough. That's Stemmer, the problem. I, I, I remember Ronnie Harris being kind of the intimidating guy. Schultz wanted no part I, of him. But I look back, he didn't have any PIMS. I mean, he hardly had any penalty because minutes. The only way to buck 78. I mean, what was the big deal with Ronnie Harris? We didn't use him. We didn't use him. We used Sealing. We used Nielsen. We used Brad Park. We used those four guys, and Ronnie Harris would jump out there. I don't know if they remember, but there was a game during the course of the year where Rod Gilbert, where Tell Gilbert and Hatfield were on the ice, and Schultz was out there. 
and it was the face-off was just by our bench, and there was by the way, that was a play. mistake. That was one of the few and we said Ronnie we Harris. <laughs> we made we, no, we sent Ronnie Harris on the ice yeah. to take off Gilbert, and he was face to face with with Dave Schultz. And if you want to see, you want to ask Dave Schultz if he can dance or not. You should have, you know, that one, the, the linesman's coming in. Hey, let me add him, you know, let me add him. And he's pushing the referee and the linesman towards him. He, they didn't want any part of him. And I think if we would have used him more physically, I think that we would have probably been a better off. But other than that, it was, it was, it was a great series. One, did, I think did, it's one of the all, top 10 game seven g- games of all time, I think. Yeah, did, didn't Ronnie Harris throw with the left? Oh, I don't remember, but I know he used to skate with weights on his skates. He used to hit a back then. Nobody hit punching bags. He used to do punching bags, weights, everything like that. And he could go if you wanted to go toe to toe with him. He, and he wasn't afraid. He would stand in front of the Philadelphia bench, basically, and say, "Come on, who wants me? Let's go." But back then, and I have the highest respect for Emil the Cat Francis. Wonderful man, one of the best people I've ever met. In, in, in this business, just didn't use him enough. We went with the four. Dale Rolfe was having a great series. You guys really zeroed in on him, that hair-pulling situation that Gary mentioned prior. Well, I'm sure we'll get it back into we'll get into that. And Brad Park, we just wore him. Look at Dave Schultz. He took about, talk about Dave Schultz. Who did he fight in that series? He fought Jerry Butler. He fought Dale Rolfe with the hair. He went out, I think him and I had a dance for five minutes, and he went after Brad Park. So Freddie was pretty smart. What he did, he says, hey, Dave, you're our tough guy you go after their best players throw the first couple punches they'll retaliate and they're gone so the strategy i would say strategy wise freddie Sherrill was the smart one in that one and aim was kind of here's what we got if we play our best we'll win and it just didn't work out for us well freddie knew that we could intimidate other teams so that was always yeah. part of the game plan right and I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you that freddie Shiro had his hands full holding me back when ronnie harris challenged our bench but that that my nose would be growing for the next three weeks, okay? Because <laughs> I wasn't one of the guys that was going to go. I'll go, Freddie. Hey, yeah, I, yeah, I'm up. I got him. <laughs> yeah, we need we we lack that toughness. Uh, yeah, that was the thing we really lacked. You know, we need that tough. We need toughness. But Stemmer, we didn't have we, it. We we had guys that could fight, obviously. And Schultze was the the great terror. He was the baddest animal in the hockey jungle for a few years, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he had to fight Terry O'Reilly, Clark Gillies, all the big guys. But we had guys that were really dangerous with their sticks, too. Like Moose Dupont used his stick like an axe, and Eddie Van Im was oh, God. He just soon put his stick right through you, <laughs> he, right? He had and a pitchfork. Not, yeah, not to yeah. say that Clarky didn't keep up with their, to everybody with, with his stick work, but we were nasty, too. And I think that had a tendency to keep a lot of good players off their game. But I will say this. Your gag line, Rattel, Hadfield, Gilbert – you know, we, I, I think Freddie thought if we really hammered, we could intimidate them. But I never thought for a second that you or those guys, most of your players, I think some of your guys had to be a little shy and a little intimidated because of some of our tough guys. But boy, your top players, including you, I, I never saw Jean Rattel shy away from any play that he had to make. Same with Roger Bear. Clarkie used to get in Roger Bear's ear all the time, trying to get him off his game. And Roddy just kept playing, man. Yeah, well, listen, you know, <laughs> when you, you, know, you talk about, you know, I think some of the things that Schultz did, he wouldn't get away with today. I mean, you know, when you pull somebody's hair, you get thrown out of the game, you get a few major penalties, you know, you, you, you're thrown out of the game. But, hey, listen, you look at the, you know, the, the two teams during the year, we scored, what, 100 and I, I, during the series, I'm sorry, 22 goals. 
Philadelphia, we got 17, and uh, it was a homer series. Let's face it, every game you guys wanted the Spectre, we wanted Madison Square Garden, and uh, I got some you know, fond memories of that. I mean, every everything went – I always remember the night before the game we were at the Hilton Hotel. I got – I don't know. You guys were doing something under the table there because I got a couple phone calls during the night. I heard that Lawrence Taylor used to do that with the Giants, with the visiting team, and tell the operator, listen, call him at 1, call him at 2, call him at 3 in the morning. I think I got a phone call – or there too, but hey, uh, well, wait, listen, a minute. I, you know, wait, wait a minute. I have how the highest you, respect. You guys did win, so well, that was. How do you explain the fact that there were ladies' voices on the other end of the phone when you answer? <laughs> well, they, 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 no, that that wasn't the voice on the phone. That was the knock on the door at one o'clock. Oh, okay. Hey, let, <laughs> I just one company. Touch. No, no, I didn't call for room service, and no, I let, didn't. No, I did let not. Me touch base. I want to touch base about the hair pulling because Schultze did grab yeah. Dale Rolfe's hair, not for the whole oh, fight. Yeah. He had him for for a while. <laughs> What's really interesting in that little a little uh, footnote to hair pulling was that the only two times I ever saw Schultze get beat up in a fight was by Clark Gillies of the Islanders and Gary Howard of the Islanders, and they both grabbed him by the hair and yeah. just beat him to a pulp. They did that to Pat Quinn. Uh, Howard did that to Pat Quinn in Atlanta, and, and it was because of those two guys. Schultze might have started it with the Dale Rolfe hair pulling, but he got beat up twice and was Gary Howitt and uh, Clark Gillies that were the reason for the rule coming in about no hair pulling. So, well, do you well, think that, you know we? we I want to write what Bill's talking about here. The question of whether or not this was a strategy that was planned at some point. This is Game Seven of the semifinals. It's one uh, four to three by the Flyers, but it, it, here we are in Game Seven. And is there a strategy for Schultze to do something like this in the course of the game that you were aware of? No. It's just instinct with Davey and picking his spots and knowing the right guys at the right time. Because yeah. um, Freddie, I, the only time I ever saw Freddie uh, send somebody out to do something to somebody, Freddie Shearer, our coach, was when uh, a guy named Barry Cummins from Oakland clonked Clarky, clonked Barbie Clark right on top of the head and cut him. And Clarky's got blood all coming over his face. And it was right near our bench. Went bop right on top of the head. And Freddie Shiro gave Bob Hound Dog Kelly the biggest wedgie in the history of the world. He didn't verbally send him out. He grabbed him and ripped his pants up and threw him over the boards, said, go get him. And he did that to Hound one more time. The night Steve Durbano from St. Louis speared our equipment manager in the mouth and knocked Jimmy McKenzie, knocked out four teeth and cut him for 20 stitches. But Schultz was never not, not by Freddie Shiro. And I talked to Davey about this. was never sent out. But his, Dave's instinct was good, right, about when to and who to tangle with. Oh. And, and, and Stemmer, I got to tell you something. I, we talked recently and I said, you know, the difference between our two teams is that our, one of our guys would have jumped in. And what did you say? Well, uh, well, you, uh, very simply, you know, uh, you, you made a good point earlier. You intimidated everybody. I mean, there was such a thing called the Philly flu. And I'll make a point here. I won't. I will not mention his name once. But you know, there was guys that were pulling up. You know, going into Philadelphia, all of a sudden that that hamstring is bothering me a little bit, Coach. I, you know, I don't know. And I had a guy once that actually uh, on a line change jumped on the ice and and was on the ice for eight seconds. That's how much they didn't want to go out there. That was the intimidation. And you know, I knew Andre Moose Dupont was was a, a member of the New York Rangers uh, for a while, and uh, a nice guy. You know, French Canadian uh, got traded to the Philadelphia Flyers, and uh, 
you know, at the, even in the warm-ups, you know, both teams standing there. I mean, you, you guys were growling at us in the warm-ups, and I was always trying to get on the good side of, of Moose DuPont. I'd say, Moose, uh, did you see General Hot? We used to watch these soap operas back then. I don't know whether you guys did, some of you guys. But in the afternoon when you took a nap, we used to sit there and watch this General Hospital. So i say, Moose, uh, what happened to Dr. Hardy today or something? Just to get him off his game and get him in a good mood. But I get that you know that that growl at me like and you know going in there it was hard it was physical and i i still got i think i got scars in the back of my leg from you know from from eddie van imp i mean when you went down on him he had that pitchfork ready come on come on come on and you went in the corners you got knocked on your ass and i don't care how good you are how talented you are how tough you are you do not want to get knocked on your ass and you know there's no question you had talent I mean, look at Ricky McLeish, a tremendous player. I mean, Dornhofer was able to score goals. You know, Bobby Clark, of course, was your leader. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, and, and to this day, I will always say this, and I'll go on record as this, uh, with Bobby Clark, I have the highest respect for him. He was a leader with your team. He won two Stanley Cups. But I, I take a little issue with him in the fact that he would not fight his own battles. And I always remember a game, uh, I think it was in that series, we're playing at Madison Square Garden. He's going down the boards. I can go to the garden right now and point to the spot where it happened. He was going around center ice, and I, I rode him out with a body check, and we both went down to the ice. And as I was getting up, there was Dornhofer in my face pushing me. I goes, Dorney, what, what the hell, you know, what's with you? He goes, got to do it, Stemmer, got to do it, Stemmer, got to do it, Stemmer. So in as much as Bobby led the way, and he's got a lifetime contract with the Philadelphia Flyers today, did not fight his own battles. And I challenged Stemmer. him a couple of times, and Stemmer. he wasn't going. And that's it. You, he, he had protection. I shake, my right? head when I, I shake my head when I hear that. And I've done it many oh. times since I played in okay. Philadelphia. And here's why I shake my head. Clarky would have fought anybody to the death. He just didn't. You just said I got up and there was Dornhofer in my face. Yeah. Clarky didn't fight right. because he didn't have to fight. There was exactly. always somebody he was, you know, I remember reading about the Civil War and Robert E. Lee being so revered by his soldiers that when he would try to lead them into battle, they would crowd around the infantry, would crowd around his horse, escort him to the back of the line so that he wouldn't get hurt. Oh, yeah. And no, that I, was I know. That's how protective the guys were for Bobby Clark. But Clarkey was as fierce a guy as I've ever seen. And he would have fought to the death, but he never had to. I no, believe no, that. No, listen, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, uh, well, you know, why did, why did our Brad Parks have to drop him? You know, and here's the thing. Nobody challenged Bobby Clark. Had to, I mean, if, if, you know, listen, you guys went after, you went after Brad Park. I, I was I was targeted. Uh, Jerry Butler was after. Uh, he went after a bunch of our guys. Dale Ruff, as I mentioned, face to face. Schultz drops him and goes. Nobody went after Bobby Clark and hit him and dropped the gloves and started swinging. So would have forced him into a battle. You guys with Schultz, he forced people. When you go into Brad Park and you punch him in your pocket, you drop your gloves. Okay, Schultz gets to two and five. Park gets to five, but we lost Park for five minutes. So I think that was a little bit of a difference. And like you said, with, 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 with Dave Schultz, if, if people today knew exactly what he was like off the ice, a totally different man. I mean, he was, I got to know him in Los Angeles and just uh, Stemmer, a gentleman. Schultz, Schultz, has never had a fight in his life off the ice. No. And no. he had hundreds as a pro. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've looked back on hockeyfights.com for the number of fights Schultz he had. And I think it was like 240 or something. And Davey said, that number is way off. Yeah. There are another hundred there that aren't even counted. I had way more fights than that. And Dave Schultz never was a fighter in junior. 
He started fighting in the old Eastern League, and by the time he made it to the NHL. But here was Dave's key to here was Schultz's key to, to success in fighting. Because I've asked him many times. He said, Well, I would take as many punches as I needed to to get my grip, because I wanted my grip yeah. right here, right yeah. on the guy's shoulder. He said, Once right. I got here, I could put my head down and throw punches, and I knew exactly where his face was. Right. I, I didn't I didn't have to see him once I got my left hand situated. It was just bang. He threw. I, I said to Davey, I said, Davey, you threw you. I saw you cut people open. I saw you blow Dennis Podvin's helmet off and it went halfway up the first tier of, 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 of rows uh, over the glass and everything. And Davey says, I didn't punch hard. I said, yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's really a humble guy. Schultz is really yeah. a humble guy. No, listen, I've gotten to know him. I was with him out in California. We had a, a situation, a, a thing that we had to attend together. So we spent some time, had a couple of glasses of wine together. And you know, we're talking about about our, our children, our grandchildren and everything. And, you know, talk about our health. And I said, you know, you know, Davey, I got, you know, my shoulders are bothering me. I got a couple of bad knees, have a prostate issue here and there. And I said, how are you feeling, by the way? He goes, I'm fine. I go, well, knees, no. Shoulder, no. no. How about your hands? Fine, no problem. There's nothing wrong with them. I mean, for a guy that threw him and, you know, he got punched in the head, of, I'm sure, a lot of times. Hands are okay, knees are okay, shoulder okay. He's probably about 180 pounds. And if he walked in there and sat next to you right now, you would think he's, I don't know, a CEO of a company or something. Gray at the temples, looks good. I hear he's got some minor health issues now. I don't know too many details about it. But like Feels you said, on the ice and off the ice, when he got on the ice, something snapped. When he got off the ice, totally different. After the game, and the guys are talking in law, he'd go to the wives' room, talk to the wives. That's the guy he was. He's just one way Stemmer, on the ice, and a lot of athletes are like that. Stemmer, can I just want to finish up, if I can, about just a comment on that conversation we had about nobody jumping in when Schultz was, you know, destroying Dale Rolf. And you said, well, you know, you have to weigh it. You know, you know, you're going to get kicked out of the game if you jump in. And yeah. I said, yeah, but one of our guys would. And I thought. Well, I'm going to make my own case here. So I went back and took a look at the video. Well, I went to YouTube and looked at the video of that schultz Wall fight to see who else yep. is on the ice. Because I thought somebody needed to jump in. But that fight was in the first period, right? Mm -hmm. And the guys on the ice were Jarretel, Vic Hatfield, uh, uh, Roger Bear, and Brad Park. They're the yep. four most valuable guys, right? The four of the most valuable guys. So in going back and looking at it, I think I made your case. As to why yeah, nobody jumped point. in, and I don't think I could hold anybody accountable for not jumping in because there was they were such key guys for you. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. You want Brad Park in Game Seven to get tossed out in the first period, and yeah, you know, after yeah, that, uh, did. yeah, of course you do. But you know, Dale Rolf and I lived together. Uh, he got traded to New York and uh, left his family back. Uh, uh, I believe back in Canada and he moved in with me. I was single at the time. And we talked about that later. It's not like he got pulverized and there was blood coming out of his forehead. You know, he held up his own, the hair pulling, took a few punches. He came back and played a regular game. You know, he was, took a regular shift shift after that. So, you know, people ask me, well, all you guys, that's what, and Freddie Shiro to this day, in fact, I read somewhere, he seems to think that that was the turning point in that game. And I don't think we felt that way. And another thing I want to bring up that was, I, I think it might've been one of the first shifts of the game. 
it might have been the start of the game. Uh, I could be wrong on that one, but from what I hear is uh, Vic Hatfield had a bad, bad hands. His hands were bothering him something terrible. And from what I hear, we have to, we are the visiting team. So we have to uh, give the, our lineups out first. So Emil the cat put, uh, went to Hatfield said, look, if you're not feeling well, I won't, I won't pencil you in, you know, as a starter, but we'll work, we'll work it out. I'll put Ronnie Harris over there with Gilbert and Rattel to start the game and park and, and Rolf will be back there. And uh, Vic said, no, I'm okay. And I think after that, puck was shot into our end behind our net, and that's when Schultz went after, you know, Dale Rolf. Had Ron Harris been on the ice, might have been a different story. But these are, you know, you know, how many years later <laughs> we can talk you know, about these things. You know what Freddie Shiro did when we, had, we ended up beating you guys in seven games? We go to Boston. And Joe Watson tells the best story because he's walking beside Freddie Shiro through the airport, through Logan in, in Boston, and picks up a newspaper. And the headline is, uh, we just beat a team better than the Bruins. <laughs> and it was quoted, they were obviously quoting a member of our organization. And Joe was like, who the hell would say that? Why is somebody who said that? And Freddie Shiro said, yeah. I said that. Oh, that's that's bulletin board material. <laughs> it, it was Freddie he said, "No, I wanted Boston yeah. to know that we weren't going to give them any respect." But look, the Bruins had 113 points that year. We had 112. You guys, we had 18 more points than you, so I think we were a better team. And you guys were built to win. You had 109 points two years in a row. Then you dropped 102. That year you had 94, and then you went in the 80s and the 60s. So Emil Lecap Francis built that Rangers team that you were on to win then. And I think that probably would have been your best chance to win was that year. Uh, other, other than Oren Esposito and Busick and Cashman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. That, you know, that, I think, you know, after that, that's when we started to get, you know, Vic Hatfield, that was his last game. Uh, he was caught from, from what I understand, uh, you know, and I, and I still hold a grudge, the late, uh, you know, minor grudge. I kid him when I used to see him was John D'Amico. I don't know whether you remember towards the end of the game, we pulled our goalkeeper. Eddie Jackman Rake and John D'Amico called us for too many men on the ice. And I have always held that against John D'Amico. I mean, I was with him in junior when he was a linesman or when he was a referee, but he made that call. And I, to this day, say, John, for God's sakes, how can you call too many men on the ice when, you know, Eddie Jackman might have been 12 feet from the bench or something like that. And Vic Hatfield went to serve the penalty. True story. There was a camera on the penalty box and Vic was kind of grinning and smiling a little bit. And Emil Francis went crazy. He did not like that. Next year, he was traded, I believe, to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Vic was traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think that was one thing that, that Emil did not like at all. And uh, wrong time, wrong place. And the camera caught him right there flushing with that grim. And it wasn't taken too lightly by our coaching staff. Stammer. I didn't know that John D'Amico made that call, but I knew John D'Amico. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. John, John yeah, D'Amico, yeah. I knew, would be a linesman in every game the Flyers played. For yeah. one reason. Oh, we'd never let him forget that. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Dave Schultz. I'm kidding. Don D'Amico was assigned every Flyers game because he was 5'8 or 5'8 and a half and weighed about 205 oh. pounds. And was oh, a tough Italian. I mean, you know, every time he come to New York, I'm saying, you're going to go to El Vagabondo tonight? I mean, I don't remember. You guys remember that place, El Vagabondo <laughs> on 62nd Street between 1st and 2nd. Was, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's if you're a mamma mia, you got to go to the field parmigiana, chicken parmigiana. I mean, that's where, when you went in there, that's where the celebrities went. They had the bocce court. They, you'd walk in, instead of handing you a menu, they'd hand you a bottle of wine. And you know, you go sit there and play some bocce and, Stemmer, and eat your you, pasta and, and go. Stemmer, Stemmer, you want to impress me? Tell me the phone number. Uh, you know what? I don't think they're there anymore, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Listen, I don't know about you guys, the Philadelphia Flyers. You guys are tough uh, and, you know, well-established. But 
back then we used to have, I thought we had a lot of fun. I don't know whether you guys on an off day on a Monday, would you guys ever get together at a, at a restaurant, a bowling, anything and do things together? I know here, the El Vagabondo was, uh, we used to get together on Monday nights. A lot of pro teams did not play on Mondays, maybe Monday night football, but uh, Joe Namath, Tucker Fredrickson, Rod Gilbert, myself, I used to come in from Long Island. We'd meet every Monday, play some bocce, have a few laughs. So I don't know. So in that way, off the ice, we were very, very close, this team that lost you guys, and we were very close. But we just, I just, just feel we didn't have that toughness. Had we had that toughness, Teddy Irvin should have gotten involved more. Teddy Irvin was, you talked about our guys. Teddy Irvin had go. a lot of scrapes. He went, he went against Pierre Bouchard. He went against Pierre Bouchard. He was, he went against Ted Harris. Ted Harris back then was a tough cookie. He was yeah. tough. Teddy Irvin went against those guys, but for some reason, he was my left winger. He never, he never got involved at all. And if we would have had some of our guys that were capable of that and stood up, you know, maybe, maybe we could have won that game seven, but it didn't happen. Yeah. The makeup of the team. Right. Uh, and and yeah, you know what? A- we've never, we've never gotten the, the, well, look, the rivalry started rivalries start with something like happened between Schultz and Dale Rolfe, right. And playoff series. So the all New York fans started hating the Philadelphia Flyers after game seven in 1974. Now, one by one, we, we, we cultivated every foreign building and every foreign fan base into hating us, right? We convinced them to hate us little by little, but that, that's the start of it. And we never got that, you know, you say that Clark, he never fought his own battles. And that's something that bothers a lot of players. And I, I, I get that. I, I don't agree with it. But at the same time, we never got as a team credit for being a good hockey team. You know, right. we just beat everybody up, right? Well, that's not that I mean. Go well, out. listen, really you had Lonsbury. Four goals that year. Yeah. You know, that's all. Yeah. No, we no, listen. Ron Lon- Ricky McLeish, great player. Ross Lonsbury, Gary Dornhofer. I mean, he was a great yeah. penalty killer. I believe he scored the winning goal there in game yeah. seven. But it was, Bill, it was the intimidation. I mean, nobody wanted that stick. Nobody wanted an Ed Van Imp elbow in the side of their head. And I remember it, it was so frightening to go in there sometime. And I'll remember a particular time when we played there. It may, may have been in the playoffs, may have been during the, the regular season. We would go, we would bus it. You know, what was it? 80 miles from New York to, uh, so we would bus it. We take the bus and after yeah. the game, we'd get back on the bus and come back. I remember a particular time when the bus was parked down in, down in the corridor, you know, the thing, the ramp leading up, the bus was parked there. And after the game, we would shower and get back on the bus. Well, Guys are slowly, one guy, two guys, three guys getting back on the bus, you know. Their fans surrounded the bus, and they were shaking it. And the bus driver said, God, get your guys on this bus. We got to get out of here. So not only did you guys go after us on the ice, you guys off the ice. I mean, imagine 50, 60 people surrounding the bus and shaking it. That, well, that is a true story. I'm telling you, that is a true story. The best bus story, the best bus story I ever heard about how intimidating it was to play in Philadelphia was Brian Engblom, who I worked with, you know, for a number of years in ESPN and in Versus. And uh, Engie's one of my greatest friends. I mean, he's a great guy. But when he, he said when we played in Montreal, he said it was so intimidating to play in Philadelphia. Our team bus would pull down in under the spectrum, right down the ramp. It would drive right into the building and that big garage door would come down behind the bus and the bus driver would turn off the bus and it would still be shaking. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, I, 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 listen, you also remember back in the spectrum, that guy that was behind our goal with the signs. 
Jury's still there. You still, still want there. to sign the They're like, Stever yeah, sucks. You know, I would, well, I don't think they allowed it quite what they did back then. I mean, Stemmer sucks or, you know, Brad, Brad, you're a pussy or something like that. I mean, he was right there behind the goal. He'll let sign up. Uh, you remember him, Bill. You remember him. I mean, oh, they would yeah. never allow things like that. But uh, everything in the world that you did to nudge us and get us off our game and get a little fright, a little scare tactic into us was all used. And you know what? They called him the Fog, Freddie the Fog Shiro. But, boy, I, from what I understand, he was not a man of a lot of words. I, I was told sometimes he'd walk in up to the chalkboard, write a couple of sentences, turn around and walk out. So he didn't say much, but, boy, he was smart. He was smart. And, and yeah. the Rangers got him later on, but he was way past his prime. <clears throat> Another quick story about Freddie Shiro is when the Philadelphia Flyers were becoming an expansion team in, what, 60, 67, was it, 68? When uh, Oakland came in and Los Angeles and Pittsburgh, those teams. Freddie Shearer was coaching in the New York Rangers organization. Uh, Ed Snyder called Amo Francis and said, listen, we're looking for a coach. You know, uh, and Amo Francis recommended Freddie Shearer to Ed Snyder. And that's one big mistake that Emil made. He should have brought him then to us. Instead, we ended up with uh, Larry Popine, Ron Stewart. <clears throat> Had we had Freddie Shiro back then, maybe we would have won the cup. But he was recommended to the Philadelphia Flyers by Emil Francis in the in the expansion. True story. Something something about Freddie that he he was one of the first, and I think Emil Francis according to. <clears throat> something that you said to me the last time we spoke that you said you were sorry that you can, couldn't win a Stanley cup for Emil Francis. Yeah. But I think Freddie Shiro and Emil Francis were probably a lot alike in that back then all coaches, they coached with the whip and it was salt. It was never sugar, right? It was punishment. It was uh, demeaning guys verbally in front of the, you know, their teammate, all of that stuff. Freddie <clears throat> Shiro never, ever did that. He respected his athletes. He loved us, and, I, and we knew that. And I, I never played for a coach like that, that that I realized cared for his athletes as much as, as Freddie. Was, was, was Emil Francis like that, too? Ditto. I mean, everything right there. Uh, you know, never demeaning anybody. If we lost the game, we, we, he didn't say, put, you know, put the pucks in the net. We're going to skate for an hour and a half. Now, a guy like Punch Imlach who we talked about earlier, uh, if we lost the game, uh, forget it. You know, bring your lunch uh, because you're, you're going to be there for a while. We would skate for two hours under Punch Imlac. I mean, you, don't, you, you, don't, you, you can't get away with, with things like that, but Emil loved his guys. I remember <clears throat> we were in Boston once after a game, and the guys were coming home when they were in a minor car accident. I think it was Sheldon Kanegis or Mike Murphy. I'm not sure who the other one was. I'm not, I'm not sure. It might have been Abdomarco. And I think they had to go to the hospital to get checked out. Ron Stewart, the coach at the time, called Emil, who was back in, uh, back in New York, and said, look, we had a minor thing, and a couple guys are, you know, got scratches, nothing serious at the hospital. And I think Emil said, well, where are you? He said, I'm at the hotel. He goes, what the hell are you doing at the hotel? You should be at the, you should be at the hospital and take care of those guys. Okay? So he was very caring. And like I mentioned to you before, I, I, one regret is that, we never want a Stanley Cup for Emil Francis. Bill, I've got to, <clears throat> we've got to let you go. We've well, overused our time for you, but I have to have to ask you this. Bill, did the Broad Street bullies and all of that intimidation that came with it, did that come because you were in Philadelphia and because of the fans, or did you bring that with the players and, and then it went to the fans? Did it go one way or the other and grow? Yeah, well, I, I think they kind of, 
you know, built together. I mean, once the fans realized what they had on the ice, it was easy for them to behave like fans that were craving raw hamburger most of the time. But the Flyers were built with players intentionally that could be tough and intimidating, but also players of character. The Flyers got physically bludgeoned two series in a row in the late 60s by the St. Louis Blues, by the Plager brothers, by Noel Picard. They were really tough. Flyers had a lot of little French guys and they just got, they got beat up. And Ed Snyder said, then that's never going to happen to another team. So that's when Keith Allen, the GM started to build with players that had toughness. that were also character guys and good people that would stand up for one another. I, I, I tell people regularly, there are givers and takers in the world. If you're a taker saying what's in this for me, You'll you'll most certainly never win a Stanley Cup. You might not even make it to the NHL. But that was one of the characteristics that Keith Allen went for, too, is guys that were willing to sacrifice and subordinate their individual goals and interests for the good of the group and be tough in the process and be people of character. So the team was built like that. And, and then when when we caught fire in Philadelphia and the, the, the city itself that was really ready for a winner. I mean, the, the Sixers had won their five games. The Eagles had won their two games. The Phillies had won their 30 games. You know, when we won that first cup in 1974, and it was easy for this blue-collar city of Philadelphia to really embrace us. So we were, it was like one of those marriages made in heaven, as it turned out. Uh, but, it, but the Flyers were built intentionally to be as intimidating as we were. Yeah, Bill, you know, everybody, you, you complimented each other. And, you know, I look at the New York Islanders when they were winning their cups, when they had toughness with Clark Gillies, Gary Howitt, then they had talent with Mike Bossy, and, of course, Brian Trotsche had good goalkeeping. I mean, let's not forget about Bernie Perrot meant to your hockey team back then. I mean, he was outstanding. How many times did he stop me? But one thing I want to mention about that about that series, that uh, a sad moment in that series, I, it happened in game four when Barry Ashby got hit in the eye by the puck. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of things I remember about that series, but that the reason I remember that one is I took the face-off uh, to the right. I be a Bernie Perron. wanted back to Dale Rolf. Dale shot the puck, and bingo, I'm three feet in front of me. The puck hits a stick. It hits Barry Ashby in the eye, and uh, he went down. The towel came out. They ran him out. He never played a game again. Lost his eye. And I remember the puck, after it hit him in the eye, it hit my blade of my stick, and I shot it towards the net. Just missed the post. This was game four, game four of that series. And I think it was Rod Gilbert scored in overtime. And we won game four in OT. But I remember that. It was uh, years later. The sadness that, you know, Barry Ashby, I think, passed a number of years ago. But the fact that on that particular play, you're standing right in front of him, the puck hits him in the eye, and uh, he lost his eye and never played against. So a lot of things happened in that series. We talked about a lot of things. And that's that's one of them that people really don't talk much about anymore. He, he passed away four years after that with leukemia. Yeah. And the, the yeah. irony yeah. of the whole play was that Dale Rolfe was the guy who shot the puck, right? Shot the puck, it hit a stick, a deflection, uh, just a freak thing. Because uh, I was I was, I was right I was just three feet in front of him. Puck flying yeah. in the eye, the, the blood coming out, the towel came out with the trainers, and, uh, you know, that was it for Barry Ashby. It was a sad Great moment. Guy. Yeah. Guys, uh, just magnificent. I can't thank you enough for joining us. We could go on talking like this. I could listen forever. Yeah. What's happening? What's wrong with the Flyers this year? Come on, let's go. You better go, Billy. You better go and give him a little talk. I mean, uh, you, tell, you know, where's that toughness? Uh, Giroux and, uh, you know, Hayes. And come on, they're giving up goals like crazy. What, 155 goals against, second worst in the NHL. So you better 
Go in there and flash those flash those that Stanley Cup ring at those guys and you know Stemmer. get them going here. They're not they're not going to make the playoffs. Stemmer, I'm sorry, I'm busy this year. <laughs> well, listen, if the check's in the mail, maybe maybe we'll get you to the airport. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy. Bill Clement, Pete Stemkowski joining us, the rivalry, the Rangers and the Flyers, and that is going to do it. And now a word from our sponsors. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% off your welcome bonus on your first deposit. And by Canaan Sunglasses. Use the exclusive code CanaanCast15 at Canaan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Canaan, clearly better. And that ends another chapter of our Sports Rivals presented by Bet Online. You can find our show at Believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening on an Apple podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. To learn more about this one and other episodes, please log on to thesportsrivals.com. You can join in the conversation and with questions and suggestions for future shows. Also, follow us online at Instagram on thesportsrivals, Twitter at rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for the Sports Rivals Podcast. Thanks, everybody. And remember, it's the rivals that make the game. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.